So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Now you can feel like you're in the audience at the Ed Sullivan Theater with official Late Show with Stephen Colbert merchandise at ParamountShop.com. Shop t-shirts, mugs, accessories, and more, and Late Show Pod Show listeners can take 20% off with code TLS20. That's 20% off at checkout on all Late Show products with code TLS20 at ParamountShop.com. Welcome, Andre. Welcome, one and all, down here, up there, all around the world. Welcome. Welcome, one and all, to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. Folks, I was... I want you to know, we had every plan in the world to start tonight's monologue by talking about what I was going to talk about in tomorrow's monologue, the latest January 6th hearing. But we just learned this afternoon that the committee has postponed tomorrow's hearing, saying, quote, no, it's for a good reason. In light of Hurricane Ian bearing down on parts of Florida, we have decided to postpone tomorrow's proceedings. That is understandable. We hope everybody in Florida stays safe. Please, if you can... Get out of the storm's path. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, tell Ron DeSantis you're Venezuelan. Maybe he gives you a free plane ride to Martha's Vineyard. One one event that will not be delayed is the midterm elections, and things aren't looking great for Republican Senate candidate and vampire distracted... Okay, but how do you really feel? (laughs) And vampire distracted by your throbbing jugular. Dr. (laughs) Mehmet Oz. Dr. Oz has been trailing in the polls for the whole race behind Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor and half-finished Wooly Willie. (laughs) John Fetterman. Recently, Oz went on a right-wing podcast and pointed out that Fetterman often wears hoodies and cargo shorts on the campaign trail. Then tried to use those fashion choices to somehow attack the lieutenant governor. Only his insult didn't really come across as very insulting. When he dresses like that, it's not an accident. He's kicking authority in the balls. Yeah. He said, hey, I'm the man. I'm going to... I'll show those guys who's, who's boss. Yeah. Way to stick it to Fetterman by making him seem... cool? <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you, when Fetterman dresses like that, he looks like a man you don't want to mess with, a man who knows what he wants. Also, have you seen how huge he is? I just just think I'd feel safe cradling those burly, tattooed arms. (laughs) Not long after that interview, Fetterman responded with this actual tweet showing his new logo, Fetterman kicking authority in the balls. (laughs) That's how you do it, baby. That's how you run the Senate. Fantastic. That is fantastic. I don't know about authority, but he definitely just racked Dr. Oz in the nuts. <laughs> speaking, uh, speaking of people who should be kicked in the balls, <laughs> Vladimir Putin, his war against Ukraine has been going so badly that last week he ordered a draft. This has been super unpopular. And to avoid it, a lot of Russians are getting the hell out of Dodgeski, especially to neighboring Georgia, 
resulting in a line of over 5,000 cars that's at least 10 miles long. And I'm told we have footage uh, from a helicopter. Bob, traffic's pretty backed up along the Georgian border, so if you're thinking of fleeing force conscription, head out early and pack a snack. Now back to Sergey with sports. Permanently, I have a helicopter and I am out of here. See ya, suckers! Those who haven't managed to flee. <laughs> Ivan... <laughs> Ivan in the sky ski? What was that? <laughs> Those who haven't managed to flee are finding other ways out of service because mobilized Russians have been calling a hotline to ask how to surrender. <laughs> we actually called that hotline this afternoon, and we have this recording. Welcome to the surrender hotline. For information on how to surrender, press 1. For showtimes for minions, the rise of Gru, press 2. Para Español, oprima la estrella. And to get... <laughs> sure. Rise of Gru. Like the rise of Gru. Rise of Gru. Good movies. And I get why they want to preemptively surrender. Check out this leaked video of a group of soldiers reportedly being told what to pack for the front lines. Get your girlfriends and wives to get sanitary pads, the cheapest pads plus the cheapest tampons. You all know what the tampons are for? You shove it right into the bullet wound, and the tampon expands and applies pressure to the wound. Tampons to plug gunshot wounds. That is awful. Plus, so awkward to ask for. <laughs> God, I've been shot! Oh, I've been shot! Does anybody have a... Tampon. <laughs> Go to the bathroom together. <laughs> Not everyone is fleeing Russia. Some folks are putting down roots, like NSA whistleblower and grandson who showed up to the funeral dressed like that. <laughs> Edward Snowden. Ever since leaking details of the NSA's domestic surveillance program, Snowden has been living in exile in Russia. Well, yesterday, it was announced that he was granted Russian citizenship. That is a rough bit of timing, bud. <laughs> Congratulations, new citizen. Put right hand on potato and repeat after me. I state your name. I state your name, solemnly swear to immediately go to be exploded in Ukraine. Here is passport and weapon, sharpen tampon. Other people. <laughs> true story. That's based on a true story. <laughs> Other people are achieving Russian citizenship by force because Putin has made occupied parts of Ukraine vote on joining Russia in sham referendums. And I'm being told we have a copy of that ballot. Should Ukraine join Russia? Da, super da, or da, I'm falling out of the window. <laughs> Very slippery floors. Slippery floors, you know? They'll Very you. slippery floors They'll there. Get you. A lot of bananas. <laughs> they eat a lot, a lot of no. bananas in the penthouse. According to one Ukrainian mayor, the get-off-the-vote effort has been exactly what you'd think. They bang loudly, they ring the doorbell, they give people a ballot and point with their rifles where to put the mark. And, of course, like all elections, it is being run by elderly volunteers. <laughs> Ding-dong, hello, Tavarich. Here's your ballot. Vote in the right way, or I'll pop a cap in your ass. Okay? All right. There's a bake sale down there if you want to. 
Staying overseas in the UK, uh, Buckingham Palace has released King Charles III's official monogram design. Take that, people who say the monarchy is an outdated institution that does nothing. They release monograms. <laughs> Just in case. Very important. Just in case you want to buy the King of England a bath towel. <laughs> we have it? Take a look. Okay, that's pretty good. It's classy. Features the King's initial intertwined with the letter R. R for Rex, Latin for King, and intertwined for years of inbreeding. <laughs> We've got an update. See, he wouldn't like it. He wouldn't... It's a long story. <laughs> We've got an update from outer space. Last night, I told you about NASA's DART mission, which is a test to see if they could knock a planet-killer asteroid off course and save the Earth. They tried a little mini-version of that on a space rock that wasn't presently threatening us, and guess what? The DART mission successfully slammed into the asteroid. There's the slam right there. In your face! In your face, asteroids, planet... Saved, we think, because even though it was a direct hit, it'll take about two months for scientists to determine if the asteroid's orbit has changed. So, if this were a real emergency, I'd be telling you folks, we may have saved the planet. We'll find out in two months. Until then, there's only one thing to do. Spend time with those you love, and together, sign up for a free two-month trial of Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> Paramount+. Plus. We're all gonna die. Why not? <laughs> oh, God. Watch that Yellowstone. Oh. Watch that Yellowstone. Oh, yeah? That's pretty fun. Oh. Mission was tricky. Essentially, they hit a bullet with a smaller bullet that they shot 10 months ago, but they nailed it, earning this joyful celebration of the moment of impact. Three, two, one. Wow. Awaiting visual confirmation. All right. We got it? Waiting. Waiting. And we have impact. We have for humanity in the name of planetary defense. Woo. Fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Oh. What? <laughs> Look at those happy nerds. <laughs> I'm so it's happy for them. So that nice. is lovely. So nice. Quite an achievement. It's very nice. I mean, they hit their target twice when they landed that double high five. <laughs> this is a lot like what happens every night uh, with the writers who work here at the Late Show Mission Control. Uh, here they are watching a live feed of last night's opening monologue. He's setting up the joke. Running for president. The question Ten, asked more than nine, question, eight, if you had seven to seconds again, to punchline. Would you have five, four, three, the question he two, asked more comedy. Than is, do you want fries with that? We have laughter. The answer is yes. <laughs> and... <laughs> The joke landed, and in two months, we'll find out if it was funny. We got a great show for you tonight. Coming up, Samuel L. Jackson. 
Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game. Headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy. Welcome back, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, my first guest tonight is an actor and one bad Monday to Friday. Please welcome back to The Late Show, Samuel L. Jackson. And, um, it's lovely to see you again. Thank you. So Haven't lovely to be able to come back and do this again. In person. Yes. We saw Zoom over a year ago is the exactly. last time we were together. This is so much nicer. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there's something ineffable, some micronutrient that gets passed and forth between two people well, when you're together. Well, you know, it's the whole kind of the reason I'm here in New York and being back in front of a live audience and having the whole live thing happening. It's like kind of awesome again. Yeah. How long? For those out there who don't know yet, those that are not there, you are starring in The Piano Lesson, written by the great August Wilson. Previews, previews uh, started last week. How are you feeling about being back on Broadway? Oh, it's, uh, it's amazingly energizing. I've forgotten. Um, How long had it been? I think maybe seven years or so. Mm-hmm. Last time I was on Broadway, I was doing a play called The Mountaintop with Angela Bassett right before I did Django. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. I literally, I literally went from being Martin Luther King to being Stephen, the most hated Negro in cinematic history, <laughs> uh, after playing Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And uh, being back on Broadway, you forget. I mean, I started here, I pounded the pavement, I did plays all the time, and you forget how energizing and how you look forward every night to meeting all these new people and their energy and what mm-hmm. that does for you. When and you, you have that opportunity to there. make that connection in a different way and to express the character in a different way? Um, well, I'm playing a different character in this play. I originated this character 30-some years ago well, uh, at Yale. Here we go. Um, you were yeah. in this play. You, you played... I played Boy Willie. Okay. And John David Washington is playing that character now. Mm-hmm. And the character that I'm playing now is this character, Doker, who was played by uh, Carl, uh, who was a really good friend of mine at the time. So this uh, is 1987. Oh, yeah. Long up time at, ago. Up at Yale <laughs> Long time ago. Now, uh, this was, was this play still in development? Was August Wilson there working on the play with y'all? Yes, we were. Uh, he would come in with new pages on sort of a daily basis. Uh, and we On would... a daily basis, and you performed those pages that night? When we started previews, we did. When we were in, in rehearsal, he would write big speeches and cut stuff and then yeah. take them back and do things. But then when we started previews at Yale, yes, he would come in with new pages during the day, and we would rehearse them and learn them and do them that night. Uh, which is kind of what we're doing now, but we're not learning new things, but we're still rehearsing because we're in previews, which means we got to go to rehearsal all day, and then we got to do a show at night. So we're doing twice as many shows as we're going to do when the show actually opens. So What I, was his I, process like? Because he's, he's one of the greats of American theater, of world theater. What, what was that like to work with him? 
Well, you you talk about the characters during the day, and Lloyd Richards was directing it, who was the head of the drama department at Yale when we were doing it. Uh, so we developed the characters. We talked about them. We talked about the things that you know they wanted, what Boy Willie's goals were. That was that was my character, mm -hmm. uh, and what was going on in the play, what the piano lesson actually was, and what it meant. Uh, and that was before we knew anything about you know uh, generational wealth or started talking about it as that and mm -hmm. what the play actually means in terms of taking an heirloom or something of value that belongs to a family and turning it into something that's going to help the family down the line. Uh, and if one person wants to keep it, another person wants to sell it to do that, who's right, who's wrong? So mm -hmm. that's the conundrum of the play. As you do this play, do you think back to that young man who was doing it in 1987? Like, do you, have, do, you, do, you, do you approach a role differently than he did? Yeah, I do. Um, different character, different goals. <laughs> Definitely different director. Uh, who, well, uh, for the for people there who don't know, your director <laughs> is an acclaimed actor, the first woman to direct an August Wilson play on Broadway. She just happens to be your wife, Latanya Richardson-Jackson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Is that... What's it like? What's it like to be... Is this the first time you've been directed by your wife, or has she directed yes. you before? Well, in the theater, yes. There's <laughs> not, a lot of directing. Yeah, not the first time I've been directed by her, but, yeah, on stage, yeah, for sure. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's an interesting challenge sometimes, um, you know, because I've been doing it for a while. She's always been an actor, and she's always been in the theater since she was a child. Mm -hmm. And uh, she is very... Um, She's a perfectionist of sorts, mm -hmm. uh, and she's um, as hard-headed as I am about certain things. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's an actress, which is kind of fun because, you know, most directors sit there and they talk to you about, you know, could you, could you possibly, you know, do so-and-so and so-and-so? And she'll start to act, and you're kind of sitting there going, <laughs> you know, because no actor wants... Somebody telling them how to act, you know, or and you go, you're acting. She's like, no, I'm not. You look at the other actors and they kind of go, yeah, you're acting. Yeah. Um, but she, um, she has a vision that's amazing for this play. I've seen this play a lot, and it's never been done this way. She's the first person to approach the play from this place that she wants to do it. And it's about the piano, and it's about this thing, it's about these people, but she's always insisted it was a ghost story, and she's made it one. Wow. And it's kind of great. So if you get a chance to see it, please come see it. Uh, yeah. Can y'all leave that? Can you leave the work at the office, or does it follow y'all home? Uh, right now, it's following us home because it's all day. You know, sure. so sure we talk about what happened at rehearsal or she'll tell me what I need to do to facilitate somebody doing something else mm -hmm. or to stop doing this other thing that she doesn't like me doing. Uh, here, here you all are together, right yeah. there. How long have y'all been married? Uh, we've been married, what's this, 22, uh, 42 years. We got married 42 years. years. Yeah. That's nice. But... But we lived together 10 years before we got married. You lived together for 10... So you've been together so for 52, 52 years, years really. Yeah. yeah. Here's, a, here's a shot of y'all. Oh, uh, yeah. This is bad. That is a great that's shot. That's the beginning. That's, that's, that's back in college. Yeah. 1972. Did you guys meet in class? Where, where, where do y'all meet? 
Um, well, the first time I saw her was actually, I was on a plane uh, going to Memphis to march with the garbage workers the day after Martin Luther King was killed. Uh, we were on a plane uh, that Robert Cope and Bill Cosby rented to take these students to march with the garbage workers. So mm -hmm. I saw her on the plane and was like, wow, who's that? And then I didn't see her again for about six months or so after uh, we locked the trustees in a building on the campus and she was in that room. She was in there, oh, too. Takeover. So take she was there, too. We took over, yeah, trustee meeting. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I didn't see her again for, like, two years because I got kicked out of school and she didn't. And <laughs> when I came back to school, mm -hmm. I went to register for the drama department and she was trying to sneak a production book in the uh, professor's office and he was looking out the window talking to me and she stuck it on the thing and I saw her and she was... She snuck out of the room, and he turned around and grabbed it and put a big F on it. And then I saw her that night at the rehearsal for the first time, and we kind of been together ever since. Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. That's lovely. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Samuel L. Jackson. Stick around, everybody. Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney, the voice of Korra on The Legend of Korra. And me, Dante Bosco, the voice of Zuko on The Last Airbender and General Iroh on The Legend of Korra. Each week we'll recap and discuss another episode of The Last Airbender. I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but... Amazing guests stop by from creators to cast to super fans to chat all things Avatarverse. Are we saying that this is possible in the Avatar universe? Varney, we gotta spread the word. Now fans can also check out our weekly video pods too by subscribing to the official Avatar YouTube channel. That's a lot of fire, isn't it? That's right, we're on video this season, everybody. So whether you're a super fan with encyclopedic knowledge or you're brand new to this incredible world, it's Fire Nation time, Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Brave the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, we're back here with the young, the talented, upcomer Samuel L. Jackson. The, the, as you said, the, the, the actor who is playing the, your original part, mm -hmm. who um, he's John David Washington. Yes. And um, what's it like to watch him do this part that, that you did back then? And do you give him any advice? Any notes at all? First thing was, I was instructed never talk to John David about Boy Willie. So I've never had a conversation with him about that character. Do you think he would like it? Oh, you? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Way back when, well, we've been trying to do this play, this is like two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So when COVID happened, we couldn't do it. It was supposed to happen two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. So we've been walking around with it for two and a half years. So in that two and a half years, she was always said, do not talk to John David about this play. Because <laughs> uh, John David, well, John David, for those of you who don't know, is Denzel's son. And I've known him since he was a kid. And they're part of our family. We're all, you know, it's one big family together. Uh, and watching him come into this show is amazing because, you know, there are a lot of steps to go through sometimes to get to where we got. Mm -hmm. Denzel 
pounded the pavement with me, and we did mm-hmm. plays together. We did soldiers play together for years. And uh, John David kind of missed that step because he got to be a cinema actor. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he's doing this big, giant part because Boy Willie is the engine that drives this play. Mm-hmm. Uh, to watch him come into it and to be brave enough to step into something a job that's this enormous in this kind of forum. I mean, Broadway is like, you know, there's some people who bought brand new pencils to say things about him <laughs> when they get a chance to say it. Uh, now, the fact that you're not supposed to say anything about this part mm. or this play to him, and you're saying it on TV and he might be watching right now, are you breaking the rule No, no, right no, now? no, no. I'm not telling him how to do it. I'm not telling him what, what, what Boy Willie's intentions are or, you know, at this point in the play, you're supposed to be like, nah, 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 nah. and in this part of the play, you do this. But to sit there and watch him, uh, I did Boy Willie a specific way because I was directed to do it that way. He's being directed to do Boy Willie another way, and to sit there and watch it, is kind of breathtaking at times because I say, I never thought to do that. Mm. You know, I never thought to try that. And she has him doing something that's spectacularly moving Mm. and touching in a way that I didn't do it, you know? And I love watching that. I love watching his growth from the first day we stepped in the rehearsal room and moving around that room and being comfortable with the actors and having that many words to say, when and if you have an opportunity to see this play, this character talks the whole play, the whole, whole, whole play. And I remember when I did it, by the time my character said to him, boy, will you shut up? The audience just just, yeah, please. Because <laughs> it was that kind of play. Uh, but when I say it to him in this play, you know, the audience is really like, oh, my God. You know, they're like... They love him so much because they believe what he wants and what he's doing. And I believe it. And I'm moved by it. And I'm sitting there just thinking, this is a great play to do every night. I'm sitting there enjoying the play and, you know, hoping that it's like, oh, 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 no, did I miss my line? I'm sitting, <laughs> I'm sitting there watching you, and it. You become a spectator. Oh, my God, it gets quiet. And you I've go, done that. I've done that. Is it me? <laughs> I've done that before. I've been on stage going, like, this is going really well. Yeah. Yeah, and then it gets quiet, and you go, oh, oh wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you ever fall asleep on stage? Not on stage. I've fallen asleep doing a movie. Well, camera's rolling in your sleep. Well, when I'm doing off-camera for the other actor. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets kind of like, wow, is this as good as he gonna be? <laughs> Thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. This has been The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. If you're enjoying The Late Show Poncho, leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert weeknights at 1135, 1035 Central on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. And for more exclusive Late Show content, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube. Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life, almost, feeling like a failure. It's appropriate, though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole 
point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.